0: Well, so good to see you all here this morning. We are once again going to be over in the book of First Kings. We're going to take a look here this morning at what causes God to do signs and wonders. How are signs different from miracles? And where do acts of faith fit in? Signs, miracles, and acts of faith. How do these fit in in our life? Well, there's a story in the Old Testament. It's about a man of God who was sent on a mission. The mission had very specific parameters. In other words, God outlined for him, this is where you are to operate. This is what you are to do. But it will demonstrate some important truths for us to learn about signs and miracles, and it really helps explain the words that Jesus spoke to us in the New Testament about an evil and adulterous generation that seeks for a sign. Last week, we were looking at Adonijah. We saw the people that were loyal to David through really tough times, and even... Rebellions in the past, decided to switch sides with Adonijah. Somehow, it got into their heads that they know better for what's, what's needed for the kingdom than does David. And that's how the enemy tries to throw you. He tries to get you to think that you know what is better for the kingdom of God than God does. That's how he gets faithful people to become unfaithful and to go against God. They reject what is true. They accept what is false, and they end up being partnered with darkness as if it was light. Just know your enemy. He tries to pull people in. If we, if he could pull such great men as one against David in this, that that passage we looked at, just understand, he can do the same to you, if you accept what is true as false, and what is false as true. That's where we'll all start. We must identify the truth, we must believe the truth, and hang on to the truth with everything that we have. If you'll turn over the Bibles to 1 Kings 13. 1 Kings 13 says, Behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord, and Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. Then he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, Behold, a child Josiah by name shall be born to the house of David, and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned on it. Now we're not told who this man of God is. There's a couple of uh, prophets that are identified in this time frame. One is Edo and another is Adonijah. However, they're both alive after this incident. So it's not them. Because you can't die in chapter 13 and being around in the chapters to come. So we know it's not those. This this man was apparently, he, he wasn't identified, didn't seem to need to be identified. And so we're just told that there was a man of God. And he was given an assignment. He's down in the south country, the, the part that split off from the, the northern tribes this is probably not his first assignment because this is a pretty heavy-duty assignment. So more than likely, he had assignments before. If he had assignments before, I was just trying to put myself in the in the place of these people in the Bible. If I was a man of God and I was given assignments, more than likely, he had some assignments of professing the word of God to Solomon because Solomon had begun to veer off and go into idolatry. And if this man was prophesying against the king's, in the north about idolatry more than likely God had used him to talk about idolatry in the, in the southern area and maybe even under the reign of Rehoboam when Rehoboam continued to go after some of these idols he may have spoken the word of God to him as well but we're not told anything more about what he had done just understand there's probably other things that he had done this is not likely his first assignment and he was sent to the king It says here that uh, the Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. Now Jeroboam had instituted a false religion. He tried to take as much from Judaism as he could to make it look like Judaism, but it wasn't. He altered the feast days to be feast days that he wanted. He decided to make priests of every class of people. You didn't have to be a Levite in order to be a priest, which is why he is standing before the altar and he's offering incense. Because he is a king, he's not supposed to be offering his incense, he's not of the right tribe, but he decided to go after it anyway. So he's, uh, his deception has continued. Now he was given a word, and I, I was thinking about going all the way back to look at his, his part here, but uh, refrain from it. You remember, he got a word from the Lord because he was faithful to God. Because, he was, uh, because God looked upon all the people that were there when he was going to move the kingdom, part of the kingdom, from Solomon to someone else. He looked around, and he saw Jeroboam, and he saw a man who was faithful. That means he was faithful to uh, Solomon. He was faithful to God. He was a faithful man. He was industrious. He could get things done. And so God called him, and he told him, he says, If you will heed to my commandments and do all the things that I have commanded you. If you will do that, I will make of your house an enduring house. That was the word. You can go back in there. I believe it's chapter 11. You can go back to that chapter and read that if you want and see the word that had come from Adonijah to him. And he had given him this, this word. And as soon as he took the throne, the thought came to him. If the people still go down to Jerusalem to worship they will eventually tire of you and they're going to go back to the house of David and they will kill you in your house. That goes directly against what the word of God said to him. You see, if you will reject what is true, if you will accept what is false, you will eventually get to the place where you will be rebellious. Jeroboam was a faithful servant and he went very quickly to being rebellious and leading the entire nation into rebellion. Setting up golden calves. It's because he rejected what was true, the word of God that came to him. If you will obey all my commands. And he immediately began to disobey them and come up with his own things. Then he accepted something that was false as true. The people of Israel will tire of me once they go down to Jerusalem and they begin to worship. They will kill me. And they will return to the house of David. That's not what the word of God said to him. Those are the things that came before. And then came rebellion. So here he is standing by the altar to burn incense. Then he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord. And said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord. Now he was given an assignment on here. He was told to go up from his area in the south. Up to Bethel. Bethel's not too far from the areas of the south. But he had to, had to go through the, you know, the border. And go into the northern territory. And I don't know if he had, if he waited for a little while. If he parked himself. As I'm supposed to be here when Jeroboam comes down to the altar. And so I don't know if he got there right at the right time. Or if he got there after Jeroboam arrives. And he's waiting. And he sees the opportunity. And then he steps up. Apparently it's not that important for us to know. But it's when Jeroboam is at the altar that this occurs. And he prophesies against the altar. Oh, altar, altar. Thus says the Lord, Behold, a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David. And on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned on you. Now what makes this word very very powerful is not just that he calls out the name of the king. Can you imagine calling out the name of a king who's not even born yet, he's going to be born generations later. And say, so this is the king who's going to come, Josiah by name. Here's the kicker. The thing that would have disturbed Jeroboam is not knowing the king's name is Josiah. It's known that the king is born to the house of David. Because what is it that came into his thoughts after he took the throne? The people will tire of me and they will return to the house of David. See, where they stand right now is northern territory. It's not house of David territory. So he has to think, ah, in order for the house of David to have any jurisdiction over this area, I must be right. They're going to go back to the house of David. That is not what happened. But Josiah does have jurisdiction over that area at the time that this goes on. Behold, a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David. And on you, he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you. And men's bones shall be burned on you. They're going to desecrate the altar. Verse three, and he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is a sign which the Lord has spoken. Surely the altar shall split apart, and the ashes on it shall be poured out. So it came to pass when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God, he cried out against the altar in Bethel, that he stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Arrest him. Then his hand which he stretched out toward him withered, so that he could not pull it back to himself. The altar also was split apart, and ashes poured out from the altar according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. Now, they obviously repair this altar because in order for the prophecy to be fulfilled, this altar needs to be here. So they will repair it, but as a sign, it would be split apart and the ashes on it would be poured out. Now, he gets mad at this, at him and he points at him and says, Arrest that man. And as soon as he does, it says, uh, The hand which he stretched out toward him withered so that he could not pull it back to himself. Well, this is the sign that the sign occurred. We have more to say about signs, but we're going to get through the whole, whole uh, chapter here first. Verse 6, Then the king answered and said to the man of God, Please entreat the favor of the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored to me. So the man of God entreated the Lord and the king's hand was restored to him and became as before. Now picture this. What is the word that, that the man of God speaks at the altar? He speaks it against the altar, right? He comes here as the Lord had instructed him and we find out more about those instructions as the chapter goes on. But he gets there and he proclaims the word of God against the altar and he says this will be the sign. Now it does not say this in scripture but I would be pretty sure that God gave him more than one sign. Because his hand when he stretched it out against him withered. And he said would you entreat the Lord? And he had no hesitation. He went right to it. If you had a, a king who had pursued false worship and his hand withered, how many of you would jump right in to pray over that? I don't think I would. I think, oh no, no, <laughs> you opened up this door yourself. It must have been spoken to him by God ahead of time. Now he's going to react this way. When he does, you can do this. Because that turned out to be another sign. But here's what it did. It exposed Jeroboam. Here's the man who is coming before the altar for the purpose of what? Seeking after the Lord. Making a a sacrifice to the Lord. Then his hand withers when he points at the man of God. Which shows him that the man of God is operating under a higher power than he is. And he says, would you entreat the Lord for me? Here's the man that the northern tribes have put their confidence in to come at the altar and make these sacrifices and he has to ask for the man of God for help to seek after God. Doesn't that expose him as a fraud? Sure does. People still followed him even after he was exposed as a fraud. So the man of God entreated the Lord and the king's hand was restored to him and became as, as before. Now how many of you have had a condition that you sought after the Lord for and it wasn't healed nearly this quick. <laughs> Anybody want to say, hey, I live better than he does. It's not about how you're living. This was a sign once again, to them. Now he got angry at the man of God. Just as a side note, we've gone over some of these principles with you before. But anger comes from a couple of different places. One is prideful anger. This prideful anger, if you want to know, do I have prideful anger? Prideful anger gets angry at others, not themselves. If you fall into a prideful anger, you're angry because of pride on the inside of you. You're mad at other people, not yourself. If you get mad because of a false humility, then you get mad at yourself, not others. Both are an emotional anger. We're supposed to be angry and do not sin. That's a... Anger based on humility. I know my rightful place. I don't assume anything too high. I don't assume anything too low. Too low, you're in false humility. Too high, you're in pride. I'm right where I'm ought to be. What's the word of God say? Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. doesn't say don't think highly of yourself. It says don't think more highly than you ought. If you think more highly than you should be thinking about yourself... You're in pride. If you think less highly of yourself than you should, you're in false humility. Both will lead to an emotional anger at things. But a humble anger, it is a principled anger. It looks to restore principles, not emotions. It's not there to appease emotions. Bad anger, prideful anger, false humility anger, angers that are based on things not from the word of God. They're looking to appease emotions, not principles. But God's anger looks to restore principles. Anger should always be accompanied by words of correction. Words that will bring about a positive change. Some of the examples you'll see of this in the Word of God. Cain got angry at Abel. Why? He's in a prideful anger. Saul got angry at Samuel. Why? Because he's in a prideful anger. Samson got mad at everybody not named Samson. Because he's the only one who's right. You'll see far more examples of prideful anger than you will of anything else. But there's plenty of examples in the Word of God that the wrong kind of anger. Just because you got angry didn't mean you got angry wrong. Verse 7. Then the king said to the man of God, Come home with me and refresh yourself, and I will give you a reward. But the man of God said to the king, If you were to give me half your house, I would not go in with you, nor would I eat bread nor drink water in this place. Now, just in case you're wondering, you see that a lot in the Old Testament. I'll give you, even if you give me half of your kingdom. A king could give up to half of the kingdom. If he gave any more than that, then that person would be in power, not them. So that's what they're saying. Even if you gave me all the way up to the point that you can give me. And still be king. I'm not going that way. And if you were to give me half your house. Half of your house. I would not go in with you nor would I eat bread, nor drink water in this place. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall not eat bread, nor drink water, nor return by the same way you came. It's a good thing Bethel's not very far from the southern part. So when he gets to the southern part there, you know, he hits the last rest stop. You know, a little sign. Last rest stop before Israel. And So he stops there, he gets something to eat, stops at the the Wendy's, Chick-fil-A, Gets himself a big tall Diet Coke. Whatever it is he wants to drink. Iced tea. And uh, fills himself up because he's not going to get anything until he gets up there and back. From wherever. It doesn't tell us where he left from. Just somewhere in the south. So we don't know how many miles that it that it is. But this is what he was commanded. Verse 9. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall not eat bread, nor drink water, nor return by the way you came. So, God, we're getting more and more about the, about what the word of God was to him. God gave him this word. He says, I have an assignment for you. I want you to go up to the northern tribes. I want you to go up to Bethel. And I want you to go up to the altar for the golden calf. When you find Jeroboam there, this is what you were to say. And he gave him the words to speak. And there are more words coming. And he says, And when you go, you cannot come back the same way. Now, they didn't have a whole lot of roads back in those days, but they had some. And so, you um, you may only had two choices. Here's the, the way from this direction, and here's the way in the other direction. Either way, one of them is going to be out of your way. You probably took the direct way there, and then maybe a more roundabout way back, because you can't go the same way. That's what the Word of God said to do. So he leaves by a different way. He follows word the word says. And even though the king asked him to come back, he was going to give him a reward. The reason for the reward is, you restored my hand. So it says in verse 10, he went another way and did not return by the way he came to Bethel. Verse 11. Now an old prophet dwelt in Bethel and his sons came and told him all the works the man of God had done that day in Bethel. And they also told their father the words which he had spoken to the king. And the father said to them, which way did he go? For his sons had seen which way the man of God went who came from Judah. Then he said to his sons, saddle the donkey for me. So they sat on the donkey for him and he rode on it. And went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. Then he said to him, are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. So we got an old prophet there. He's in Bethel. His sons came and told him all the works. This is the talk of the town. Uh, And it surely would be. You have a man of God who shows up, makes this proclamation against the Against the uh, uh, against the, uh, the the altar against Jeroboam. Well, people are going to talk about this, and so they came on home and they talked about it. And told it to their father. Now, notice this: the father did not go to the sacrifice, but the sons did. Sons went to the sacrifice. I don't know how involved the sons were. If they were just there watching with everyone else, but it would seem like. There was a reason why the old man, the old prophet, did not return to Judah. Most people who wanted to serve God returned to the land of Judah once Jeroboam set up the false false religion. It says that many from all those tribes went on down to the southern tribe. And so actually the tribe of Judah had representation from all tribes before very long at all. It may be that the father was thinking about going. When this is just supposition, we don't know but the father was thinking about going and the son said, we want to stay. We like this new kind of worship. We like this new, new stuff going on here. And so maybe the father decided to choose staying with his sons and maybe some other members of the family were staying as well instead of leaving and going to the southern part where they would be worshiping God. It says old prophet, we don't know if he's uh, been retired. We don't know if God hasn't spoken to him in a while. None of that is uh, apparently important for us. But he said to his son, saddle the donkey for me. And so he rode on it and went after the man of God. Apparently, he, he said, well, which way did he go? And the sons were watching. The sons heard that, well, he's going to go home a different way. So they watched to see which way he would go home. And so they saw which way he went. And again, there's not that many ways to go. So he said, well, he took this route. And so he just got on that route and just kept walking on that route riding on a donkey until he found the man of God. And there he was sitting under an oak. Now, if don't get on the guy's case because he's sitting under an oak. Remember, he's not allowed to eat anything or drink anything. Now, you can go for a long time without, without water and be okay. But how many of you know when you are under the hot sun, it's tougher. It's one thing to work in a shaded area and it's one another thing to work outside in the sun. It just changes things. Temperature might be the same, but that sun beating down on you. Boy, that can have an effect. And you can get thirsty. So if he's sitting under an oak, you're looking at the, the way of the road here. There's not a whole lot of trees, probably. But he found one and he decided to sit under it to get some shade for a little while, just to get a little, re- re- little relief. God didn't say you can't stop and rest on the way. He's not breaking anything that God had said. He didn't say you couldn't stop and get in some shade for a little while. He said, you know, go go on ahead. And uh just nothing to drink, nothing to eat, gave him the instructions of what he was supposed to do. Go home a different way. So he went home a different way. He didn't get any any water. Apparently he it didn't say bring water from the southern part and you can drink that. He didn't want to drink anything. So we got this old prophet who chased him down. Now the old prophet did not go to the sacrifice. Maybe that he's not on board with his new new fangled uh, religion. But he's not about to stop his sons from going. Well, let's go on here. Uh, verse fifteen Then he said to him, Come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I cannot return with you, nor can I go in with you, neither can I eat bread nor drink water with you. In this place. For I have been told by the word of the Lord, you shall not eat bread nor drink water there, nor return by going the way you came. Doesn't it sound like some of the things we built this series off of? You get something from God, you hear a word from God, and you just stay with it. This is what God said to do. You cannot go off of the word that God gave me. I cannot go off of the word that God gave you. You can go off the word that God gave you, and I can go off the word God gave me. But if I hear a word that God gave you, I may like it, but that doesn't mean that I can say, I'm going to do that and get the same result. Because God didn't speak that to me. Jesus spit in the ground, made clay, put it on the eyes of someone to go wash. Somebody else may say, oh, I, don't, I want to do that too. Maybe they put mud on their eyes and they went and washed. It won't have the same effect. See, God didn't speak that word to you. God has to speak the word to you. When God speaks the Word to you and He says do this and you do it, there's power with it. If I just copy what somebody else got, there's no power to that. can't do it. Make sure you get the Word from God. God will speak it to you. So He says in verse 18, He said to him, I too am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord saying, Bring him back with you to your house that he may eat bread and drink water. He was lying to him. Now, some people may suppose that the angel he saw was a false angel, except that the word of God says what? He was lying to him. Didn't say he was deceived. Didn't say that something appeared to him that appeared to be an angel. It says he lied to him. There was no angel. But he said the angel spoke to me and said, "Bring him back with, with you to your house that he may eat bread and drink water." He was lying to him. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. He turned down the first invitation, but here the second one comes along and he goes ahead and grabs it. How many times do you see people in the body of Christ, they turn down this opportunity to disobey God, but then they accept another? Why is it they accepted the other opportunity? Why is it that certain people decided, well, let's just say Joab? Why did Joab decide to go with? the second rebellion that he didn't go with the first one. Why did he decide to do that? Something seemed to speak to him that it was genuine. Something on this seemed to speak to this guy that it was genuine. But he had to stick with what God spoke to him. Don't go with what God spoke to someone else. Go with what God spoke to you. It's important. What did God speak to you? Sometimes, you know, these are extreme cases and I haven't heard of any of these for a while. But sometimes we've heard testimonies in meetings. I was in a meeting. I got hands laid on me. And I threw away my medication. And I was healed. And somebody else hears that. They say, well, I'm going to throw away my medication. But they didn't have the same thing. God didn't speak the same thing to them. You got to hear from God. You hear from God, you can throw away your medication. If you hear from God. If God says you don't need that no more. There's other ways that could happen too. But if God doesn't speak that. You just generate it on your own. It won't produce the same results. Now why would, you, why would this prophet come up to. The younger prophet. And speak this to him. Lie to him this way. My only uh, only thing I can come up with. On this is that he's been in the northern tribes. For however long they've been in disobedience. And perhaps, before that, God had stopped using him or speaking to him. And maybe he has lost some respect for the Word of God. And he doesn't feel that any harm is going to come if he speaks this to him and and turns him aside. I don't think he expects any harm to come to to the other prophet. See, sometimes we're on guard against those who oppose or compromise the Word of God, but we let it down when those... Who claim to revere it. Just because somebody says they revere the word of God. Don't don't believe their claim. Look for evidence. And even then God still has to speak to you. Brother Hagin used to share this with us all the time. He said if three different prophets. Well known prophets. Established prophets. Were to get up and to speak the same thing into your life. And it didn't bear witness of what you had in your spirit. Don't do it. He he didn't just say disregard it. He'd say, put it on the shelf. Wait until I came to your spirit. God has to speak to you. What he's going to speak through are the prophets. He's going to speak and he's going to confirm what he already spoke to you. But if he didn't speak it to you, don't take it because another prophet or someone who says they're a prophet says to do so. This man should not have taken this. He doesn't know this man, never met this man before. But he somehow decided to have trust in his walk with God. My first thought is, if you are a prophet of God, why didn't God use you? You're here. Verse 20. Now it happened as they sat at the table that the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. And he cried out to the man of God who came from Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the commandment which the Lord your God commanded you, but you... Came back, ate bread, and drank water in the place in which the Lord said to you, eat no bread, drink no water, your corpse shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. Now how many of you, if you're God, you are not using this old prophet? Anybody? I'm, I'm, I'm not using him. He just lied, misrep- misrepresented the word of God. Why would God use this prophet? Who he did not choose to use to bring the first word for whatever the reason. But then this one comes. I mean it's undoubtedly God God speaks this to him. And He's He spoke it up after hearing it from God. Now you should take some encouragement. How many times has the enemy tried to disqualify you from doing what God told you to do? God told you to go over there and witness to that neighbor of yours. Oh, if I do that, they know I messed up here, I got angry, right? And then you talk talk yourself out of it. If God can use this guy right here, He can use you, even despite your past failures. Just let Him use you. But this man cries out against Him. Thus says the Lord. Now if I'm that old, the old prophet, and I just deceived this man brought into my house, and God spoke that to me, and I knew it was God, I don't know that I'd speak it out. <laughs> I, I can't say that I wouldn't. I I can't say that I would. I'm not sure what would happen because I'm thinking, dear God, I brought him here. How can I pronounce this word against them? But that's what he does. He gets up and he speaks it. He may just have been thrilled that God used him again. We don't know. Now I would this is one of those times, you know, when I get to heaven, after I've been there for a few days, there's a few other things I want to see but I want him to run the videotape. Because here's what I want to know. After you get done that, after you have this conversation at the table and this man gets up and pronounces judgment upon you, what do you talk about after that? (laughs) How does the conversation go? Well, I appreciate that word, brother. Thank you very much. (laughs) Where do you go with that? because it doesn't say that he got mad got up and left it says so it was after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk and then he saddled his donkey for him and the prophet whom he had brought back so this is um, this is a question for me man cries out against me tells me I'm going to die and then I say would you pass me the butter (laughs) I, I don't know Boy, how do you have this conversation how do you just keep on going on and well you know I'd still like to have some more I guess since I'm gonna die, might as well just keep on eating. It's just puzzling to me as to what happens. That's one of those videotapes I want to get the chance to see. What did they talk about after that? So it was after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk that he saddled the donkey for him, the prophet whom he had brought back. When it was, when he was gone, the lion met him, uh, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his corpse was thrown on the road, donkey stood by it, and the lion also stood by the corpse. Now, this doesn't normally happen. Normally lions kill for food. They don't just kill just for sport, they kill for food. And what's also odd is that lions generally walk around in you know a bunch of lions. There's not just one. Here we got one lion, came up, killed him, but didn't eat him. Didn't drag him back to the to the pack, to the, the group of lions that they got there, whatever they call it, didn't take them back over there. And the donkey, who's, they're usually afraid of lions. He doesn't run off. And so the lion kills the guy on the donkey, but leaves the donkey alone. And then they both sit down next to the, to the man that's just dead. That's not something that you see all the time. And so people are going on by the road and they're seeing this. This is how the word gets back. The lion's just, just sitting there. On the side of the road. The donkey's sitting on the other side or one side or the other. And they're sitting there. The man's dead. If he looks dead, I'm not going to go check it out. I mean, would you check out? See if the, if the guy was dead? The lion's sitting right there next to him? I think we're going to go back into town and say, you know what I saw? And so people begin to spread the word. You know, you don't have cell phones. So you got to go knock on somebody else's door. Hey, guess what's going on? And eventually the word gets back to the to the old prophet. And there men passed by and saw the corpse thrown on the road and the lion standing by the corpse. They went and towed it in the city where the old prophet dwelt. Now when the prophet who had brought him back from the way heard it, he he said it is the man of god who was disobedient to the word of the lord therefore the lord has delivered him to the lion which he has torn him and killed him according to the word of the lord which he spoke to him and he spoke to his sons saying saddle the donkey for me so they saddled it now here's something just interesting i don't really know why this is in here but do you remember when he first went over to the to find the man of god underneath the uh the tree he had his sons saddle his donkey and then he went out and got it got on it here in this episode, he's going to go out and get the, the corpse. And so he says, saddle the donkey. But when the man of God, who came from the southern area, is getting ready to leave, who saddled the donkey? It was the old prophet. So the old prophet is okay with saddling other people's donkeys, it's just not his own. What's, what's up with that? It's just kind of odd The two times we're told in the word of God that he asked the sons, saddle the donkey. But then he saddles the donkey for the other. Maybe he felt bad. Man, I really feel bad for you. At least I can do is saddle your donkey. I don't normally do this. I don't saddle everybody's donkey. But here I'm going to saddle yours because, you know, it's my fault you're going to die. Then he went and found his corpse thrown on the road and the donkey and the lion standing by the corpse. The lion had not eaten the corpse nor torn the donkey. And the prophet took up the corpse of the man of God, laid it on the donkey and brought it back. So the old prophet came to the city to mourn and to bury him. Now think about this. No one else wants to go up to the corpse because the lion's there. So he takes the corpse and puts it on the donkey that is sitting next to the lion. That's a pretty bold move. I mean, some of you folks, you won't go into a room with a spider in it. (laughs) Then he laid the corpse in his own tomb, and they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother. Verse 31. So it was after he had buried him that he spoke to his son, saying, When I am dead, then bury me in the tomb where the man of God is buried. Well, it's his tomb. But he says, now go ahead and bury me there. Lay my bones beside his bones for the same which he cried out by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the shrines on the high places which are in the cities of Samaria will surely come to pass. So he's confirming the word that is spoken here. Now verse 33. After this event, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way, but again he made priests from every class of people for the high places... Whoever wished he consecrated him and he became one of the priests of the high places. And this thing was a sin of the house of the Jeroboam so as to the extent so as to exterminate and destroy it from the face of the earth. So again it goes over some of the things that Jeroboam had done and that he had, had faulted from. But here we have in this one we have a sign that is done. We have the sign that he speaks to him. He says this is the sign that will happen. This altar is going to split and the ashes are going to be poured out. And right there, while they're working on it, the altar split. It's a new altar. It was just built a little while ago for, these, uh, for this golden calf. And it split. I don't know how... Uh, you know, rock altars, I don't think they split too often. But this one did. It split. And the ashes are poured out as a sign. And then they also saw the hand. It withered and then it came back again. It was restored people saw this this was a testimony of what happened there's a verse of scripture in Matthew 12 you can write this down it's not in your outline I neglected to put it in there Matthew 12:38 then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered saying teacher we want to see a sign from you but he answered and said to them an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation to condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah, is here. Now he is not saying in this passage that the only sign that is given to any generation is the sign of Jonah. He's saying the sign that is given to this particular generation that he called evil and adulterous. This is the sign that they were going to get. They want. They were the ones asking for a sign. God did other signs. How many signs did he do in Egypt? He did a bunch of signs there, didn't he? How many signs is he doing in Revelation? He's doing a whole mess of signs there. He's done signs throughout history. He did signs in the book of Acts. The Word of God says that signs and wonders were done. These were things that were, that were going on. Signs have occurred. But here we have this particular situation. And the sign was, was brought out. So it caused me to, to begin to ask the question. What's the difference between signs and wonders? Miracles. And acts of faith. Because if they are different things, we should be able to know. I should be able to identify right away. Well, that's a sign. And uh, you don't raise your hand on this one or don't try and answer it. Just kind of on the inside answer this one. If you were to point to something that happened in the Word of God, could you tell right away, is it a sign or is is it a miracle? What is the difference between a sign and a miracle? Why is one called a sign and another one called a miracle? So I began to ponder on this for a bit. And I wrote this down. No, I, just, I just gave you the shortened version. You can write as much of this in there in your outline as you want to. You don't have any other blanks, so this is all you got. Signs are given to those who are in opposition to the things of God to turn them. Signs are given to those who are in opposition to the things of God to turn them. Signs usually are God's power coming against the things unbelievers reverence or trust in. Signs usually are God's power coming against the things unbelievers reverence or trust in. Now the sign does not make their condition any better. In fact, most times they're in worse shape after the sign. Not always. When the altar's split and almost in worse shape from that but when God got done with the signs over Egypt, they were in worse shape. Those signs affected them negatively. Sometimes the signs affect things negatively. Sometimes they have no effect. But never do you see a sign have a positive effect. Go through the book of Revelation. Do you find any signs in there that have any positive effect? How many times does it talk about a third of the uh, sea life died? Or a third of the people died? Or... Uh, different different nasty things that would would happen during the book of revelation these were signs and it's not making their condition any better they must respond to the word that came from the sign and that add what is needed to maintain the change so when the sign comes the sign is usually saying it comes along with something the signs in revelations will come with a saying and the two witnesses will be providing it god says Change or more is going to happen. Change or that Repent. They're going to be saying these, these particular things to them. God would say when he would bring the sign to, to Pharaoh, let my people go. He told them how we can make this thing stop. And he didn't do it, so the sign came. And the sign produced a negative effect upon their country. When the sign comes... Then the word of God is pronounced. Is what will happen calls for a change. Now Jeroboam didn't change and go back to what he was supposed to be doing, and go back to the original word, and so judgment was pronounced upon the upon Jeroboam. Then it was just given a sign to show this is from God. I'm not just here just saying words. This is from God. Here's a sign for you to to know it. And so the sign lets people know this is God. God will do the sign to let people know this is not just something that's going to happen. It's going to happen because I said it's going to happen. And it's going to happen how I said it's going to happen. And even from there, people can deny the sign. Just as in the case with Pharaoh, who had his magicians do the same things, and so his heart was hardened. He decided, well, I think that just happened. It just happened that the water turned into blood. It just happened that the frogs came. It just happened that darkness was over just our area and not over Goshen. He just reasoned it out. People with hard hearts can do this. And generally worse things come when they do that. But there's supposed to be, be signs that are given. God will give signs and see how people respond to them. Now, the enemy likes to get in on this too, and so he likes to do signs. And so we've seen, and we've talked about in times past, statues that are bleeding, statues that are crying. People are supposed to come up and touch the statue, and then they get healed. Well, these are lying signs and wonders. These are not true ones. And if you know the Word of God, you know what kind of signs God does, and you know what kind of signs the enemy does. In the last days, in the book of Revelation, it says that the prophet will come alongside of the Antichrist, and will perform lying signs and wonders. So the devil does have power. And that power will be used. And they will try and do the same thing with God that God does. And confirm the word with the lying sign and wonder. And people will go along with it. You're not supposed to. But people would. You should be able, you should be able to recognize the spirit of God on something. And not the spirit of God and go away from it. People are trying to say things like the uh, case of the virus or other different things that come along. These are signs from God. If they're signs from God then they come accompanied with a call to change. What kind of change is supposed to be there? But sometimes people just try and make things out of it. And it's it's not there. And um, that's that's something we have to be be careful of it. And make sure that we don't respond in the same way. You know, We, we know just going around here, people are in, in fear of a thing they shouldn't be in fear of. Never have been in fear before. But all of a sudden, now we're going to be in fear. But you should be a witness to people to not be in fear. You shouldn't be held up in your home. You shouldn't be, be uh, uh, afraid of... Well, I can't go outside. I can't do this. and Well, that thing is going on. And, no. We don't have to speak about those, those kind of things in that way. Because we have the Spirit of God on us. We have the truth. We have the light. Walk as children of light. That's how we're supposed to go. Your reaction. This is not a sign from God. Some people want to try to say, Well, God's trying to send something uh, on it. The only thing that changed the this, this uh, virus that came along now the only thing that made this one different from all the ones that came before H1N1, Swine, Bird you just, you know, the names just go on the only thing that made one, this one different is that people pronounced an expectation that we should have millions will die millions did not die they pronounced all kinds of things and they didn't happen and still those people are credible I don't understand how Now here's what you got. I I wanted you to make sure you understand this. We have a lot of faith people in this country. I mean, we have a ton of faith people in this country. Just go outside, go into the grocery store, find one of those people that's all masked up and doesn't want you to touch them. They are a faith person. They just don't know it. Because what they have done was they took the word of someone they do not know without any evidence to prove it and believed what they said. Changed all their action. And orchestrated everything around what they said they should do. You know what we do? We take our instructions from God. We take the instructions from someone we do know. Haven't met him yet. Haven't seen him. Because he's proved himself to us. And we change our actions based upon what he says. I don't change my action based upon what these other nutcases have to say. And neither should you. We go about and we do the thing that we're, we're here to do. But Those are signs. Signs come from God. They also come from the enemy. To try and verify the word spoken. God will verify the word. I'm telling you, this is my word speaking this. And he does signs. But God's signs are always of a more grander nature than that of Satan's. All you got to do is go back to the book of Exodus. If you want to know what it's going to be like, because you won't be here. But if you want to know what it's going to be like in the tribulation period... If they're doing lying signs and wonders if God sends frogs and they call for frogs they got a couple of hundred frogs that come and God has millions they call for gnats mosquitoes whatever the the bugs are they're not sure you know what the what the word is they call for those particular things flies and they call for them they get a, a couple hundred to come and God has multiple millions then there was a couple of times I said we can't duplicate this one we, can, we cannot duplicate this one. Can you imagine them duplicating darkness? God makes it dark all over. All right, now do that. It's already dark. All they can do is go over to the land of Goshen and try and make darkness happen there. And it won't, and it won't happen because God's light shined on, on that one. So we got signs down. Let's take a look at miracles. Miracles are given to those who do not oppose the things of God. Signs are given to those that are in opposition. Miracles are given to those who do not oppose the things of God, but willingly yield to what he says. They willingly yield to what he says. When he says to the man, take up your bed, rise up, take up your bed and walk. We see the miracle that happened with him. The reason that miracle happened was because he was open. Jesus first off said to him, what do you want to be healed? When the the blind man came to him, what do you want me to do for you? So they came willingly. They came to receive. And when he spoke a word to them, they willingly did it. Naaman wanted to be healed of his leprosy. So he came. And though he resisted at first, he eventually yielded. And he went along with what was what was needed to be done. So miracles are given to those who do not oppose the things of God, but willingly yield to what He says. Their purpose is to restore the purpose of miracles. Their purpose is to restore to a better state. Signs don't bring to a better state. It's either the same or worse. Miracles bring restoration to a better state. But, What is needed to maintain the condition is not included. God does not include in the miracle what is needed to maintain the new condition that they have. Miracles are God's power coming against the things that bind, weaken, or hinder those who come to God. I'll say that again for you. Miracles are God's power coming against the things that bind, weaken, or hinder. Those who would come to God—that's a miracle. Difference between a miracle, biggest difference between a miracle and a sign. A sign is not here to bring about a better condition, but a miracle is. There's the third one: acts of faith. Acts of faith restore little by little, or sometimes in large chunks as faith grows, what is needed to maintain. I'm sorry, separate. What is needed to maintain the new condition is picked up along the way. Now in signs, there is no faith given in the sign to help maintain the change because people who see the sign can explain it away. Miracles come, but they do not bring the faith needed to maintain the miracle. You need to go out there and grow that faith of yours. But when you get healed on an act of faith, you have been doing things along the way to build up what is needed to maintain the new condition you receive. Best case scenario for this is the woman with the issue of blood. When Jesus turned around after she touched the hem of his garment, does he say, my power, the miracle working of power of God has made you whole? Is that what he said to her? He did not. He said, your faith Has made you whole. Jesus really wasn't involved. He's just walking along. He's not thinking healing. And she touches the hem of his garment. For the word of God says. For she said. If I just touch the hem of his garment. I know I shall be healed. And so she worked her way through the crowd. Touched the hem of his garment. And instantly in her body. She was made whole. Well all along. She she was building this up. We know that she heard about Jesus when she heard about Jesus, she kept saying to herself, If I just touch the hem of his garment, I know I shall be healed. Now she had to say that out loud and other people probably heard her. And people who love her, who saw her pursue things that didn't help her, saw her get discouraged because she had pursued so many other avenues and spent all the money that she had pursuing these other avenues to get healed and was not healed. In fact, the word said she was made worse. She was in worse condition after seeking out all these other things. And so people that loved her probably just said, Look, just just don't pursue anything more. But she said, No. If I just touch the hem of his garment, I know I shall be healed. No matter who came against her, no matter who said anything to her about it, she kept going. And so when she does, she touches the hem of his garment, power goes out from him, and she is healed. Made whole. And Jesus said to her, Your faith has made you whole. Acts of faith restore little by little. We talked about little by little on Wednesday night here in the, in the service. That God was having the children of Israel take the promised land little by little. And He had reasons for it. But what is needed to maintain the new condition is picked up along the way. You see, when you get a miracle in your body and God, you get into a meeting, somebody lays hands on you and instantly your condition is changed. Well, you didn't change the faith on the inside of you. This is why a lot of times people go out from those meetings And they get a little twinge of pain. Or they begin to feel that condition again. Once they begin to feel that condition again. Oh, I thought I was healed. How many stories Brother Hagin would tell us? Where he would come back into a situation. And somebody who was healed in the meeting. They're not healed anymore. And he would tell them. I remember I just heard another one telling the story. He said, I'll tell you what you said. I'll tell you what happened. And he described it to him. You were off. And you felt this in your body. And you said in your head, I thought I was healed at the meeting. He said, "Well, yeah, that's exactly what I thought." And he proceeded to, to help him out and get out of that condition. But uh, just I remember these words. This is the man who was he was in there and laying hands on a lot of people, so a lot of people healed. He said, "The people healed the first time is easy. You get people healed the second time is difficult." And this particular one story, he was talking about 45 minutes to get half of it done. That was the whole meeting. was just ministering to this one person and getting them turned around. But then he said, now I'm going to teach you some things. Make sure that you don't, don't lose it. You see, when you get healed by a miracle, it's easy for it to go away because you haven't done the things that are needed to maintain it. But when you believe God for a healing, you've already done the things along the way to build up on the inside of you to maintain what it is that you've got. When that little twinge of pain comes in, the devil tries to say, Ha, ah, it's coming back on you. No, it's not! Because he, I've been fighting this the whole way. Little by little, I'm taking more and more territory. Little by little, I'm moving further and further, closer to the, the goal ahead. And so when I see him come up into my life and begin to speak things, I come right after him. You are not speaking into my life. I am. This is how it's going to be. And you stay with it. You stay. You Stay with it there's a story he told I, I think it was in the video how many of y'all watched the video I put up on Facebook for you to watch appreciate both of you <laughs> <laughs> oh the, the one with Brother Hagan, the, the teaching with Brother Hagen. There was a Rick Renner one. I was supposed to tell you about a Rick Renner video from last week and I, and I didn't do it but y'all watched it anyway probably saw how it tied in but I was uh, supposed to how many saw the, the, the Brother Hagan one I put up uh, not this past week but the week before right on the weekend, last weekend all right. Appreciate both of you again. <laughs> if you didn't see, go back out there and see. But he talked about this story of this woman, who um, uh, she was deaf, couldn't hear, could not hear, and um, they laid hands on her in the meeting. She got healed, and she was uh, she was at home or doing some things, and and um, started to lose her healing, and the uh, people around her. Oh, sister, so we're so afraid you're going to be losing your hearing. You're going to lose your miracle. Sure enough, she wasn't too long. She was, huh? Couldn't hear, couldn't hear, couldn't hear. When they told the story of the brother Hagin, he said he had to go outside. It was cold outside. He had to go outside and cool off. He said, I was mad. He said, I'm not mad at them. I'm mad at the devil. I'm mad at them for listening to the devil, but I'm mad at the devil. <laughs> Don't be doing that. If you got somebody in your life and they received a miracle from God, I'll tell you what, don't you be, don't you be egging them on? Don't you be helping the devil out in their life? If they start to fall off of that thing, um, maybe their healing starts to slip a little bit, don't you be talking to them that way. Say, oh, I th- we think you're going to lose your hearing. Think you're going to lose your miracle. Say, no, we're going to stand against this with you. You got healed. If you didn't go back and listen to that, go back and listen to it you didn't listen the first time, go out there and listen. It's a, I don't know, it's a week and a half ago. Somewhere on the weekend I put it up there for you. But there was, it's going to be a good one for you to listen to. You see, it's important that we build up those things that we need to maintain what it is that God's, God's doing. Because when I get healed, my borders have been expanded. But if I don't walk out in those and maintain those new areas, they can, be, they can slip away from me. How many of you can attest? You can raise your hand on this one. Raise your hand up. How many can attest that you have been healed in your body? Whether it be a back, a knee, a joint, um, condition, headaches, uh, some kind of intestinal. How many can, can, can say, I have been healed by, some, by with something? All right. You've got a few people who can. Well, you see, when you receive that condition, it, cha- it altered where you were. And now you've got to maintain that new condition. You've got to maintain that new level of of operation. And understand the devil does not like it when you operate in a new new area that's a higher place than what he had you at. He wants you to be bound up. Held back. But you don't have to be that way. You're a person of faith. And he's defeated in the realm of faith. Keep him over there. Don't get over in the area of doubts, reasonings, You'll lose. Don't get over there. He starts putting something on you. You don't have to receive it. But you got to have the stuff in you. you maintain cause That devil, he's, a, he's obnoxious. He is consistent. His kingdom is consistent to come against you with darkness. Don't let him. Don't let him do it. You stand up against him. And just know what God has done for you. He did because he loved you. One of those stories he was talking about, Brother Hagler brought him back to the the point. He said, how many years did that condition go on? He told him how many years the condition went on. I'm just going to give you enough of this to what your appetite. Go back up there and listen to it. How many years has that condition been going on? He told him. He said, in all those years, has the condition ever stopped? Never. Was there ever a day you didn't take a pain pill? Never. How long ago was it that hands were laid on you and you received your healing? And he told him. Did you take any pain pills over that time? Nope, not a one. And during the time before, did you take, was there ever a day you didn't take a pain pain pill? Nope, not a one. And you're questioning whether God healed you? He said, yeah, that is kind of stupid, isn't it? He said, it sure is. I think he said something to the fact that a young child would know better than that. It's a good story. You can go better and listen to the whole thing. You're from the person himself. Would you all stand up with me? This prophet was given boundaries in which he was supposed to operate in. He was given a word in which he was to speak but God told him. He said I want you to go up to Bethel, pronounce this word and I want you to come back a different way. Don't eat anything. Don't drink anything. And he gave him those specific things. And he was veered off. He had a king who offered to bring him back to the palace and treat him like a king would treat you. And he said no. But the old prophet probably just had a shack somewhere compared to the mansion that the king had. He accepted that invitation. And lost his life over it. Because God had to show the people this was my word this is what I sent and he had to take the man of God and notice how many many times he had been faithful in what God had told him to do before and this one cost him his life God will speak to you you ask him for wisdom in your situation he will speak to you and he will tell you some things that will probably not make any sense but he said you need to do this understand those things don't involve other people they involve you God does not give you conditions that involve other people being faithful to what he told you. He will speak to you about what you need to do and there's no one who can stop you except you. Will, the enemy will try and come along and tell you, you don't. that's not going to do any good. What benefit could that bring about? But understand, he's only giving you the first part. You do the first part, he'll give you the second part. But until you do the first part, he won't give you the second part. If there's a third part, he'll give you that after you've been faithful with the second part. If there's a fourth part, he'll give you that after you've been faithful with the third part. He does not usually tell you how many parts there are when he first starts. He just tells you to do this. And you just need to do it. And trust him. And you keep doing it until he tells you to do something else. You don't quit. You don't keep coming back to God. God, should I keep on doing that? No, you keep doing it. Stay with it. Don't let it go. God, you told me, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm staying with it. God says, good, good. That's what we need you to do. Because it's building something up on the inside of you. It's changing you. And not only is it bringing you closer to the miracle that you need in your life, but you're going to achieve it through an act of faith. And what miracles cannot do, the act of faith can, because you will now be equipped with everything you need To maintain that new condition you have. Now if you got healed. Changed in a miracle. You can still get those things. But you got to set yourself out. You got to go after it. I need to get those things in my life. To maintain what it is that God has given me. Because if God gave it to you. There's opportunity. There's time for you to get ready. And get going. Let's pray. Father we thank you. I thank you for your your word to us. Father, you spoke us, spoke to us words in your written word. We can take those words and say, this is what you t- told me to do. And as we are faithful with your written words, you will also speak to us spoken word about what we are to do to change our condition. And as we are faithful with that, not questioning, but faithful. We take that thing that you said to do and we stay with it. This prophet should have stayed with it all the way back to the land of Judah. But he didn't do it, he came up short. Father, we don't have to come up short. We can make it the whole way. And I thank you for the things that you do for us to help us in that. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you are looking for something to do today, tomorrow, go up there and take a look at that uh, that video. I put another one up there with Brother Rick. It's a good one for you to, to look at and to, to check out. But uh, that one with Brother that we put up about a week and a half ago. Just go up to the church page. Just keep on going down. You'll see it. Have a great rest of your day. Bless some people around you before you go. We'll see some of you here on Wednesday.